Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Uh, welcome back to The Bill Walton Show. I'm in overtime with Frank Gaffney and Kevin Freeman, and we're talking about all things China. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to dig into with China is just what's happening on the space warfare front, and that they view that quite uh, strategically, and so should we. Absolutely. It's not just space warfare, Bill, as you talked about in the show there's a comprehensiveness to the Chinese approach to most things. They see as an integral approach building commercial capabilities as well as national security capabilities in space, on the moon, in what they call the Earth-Moon system and critical points in space that will enable them to actually control access to space and yeah. use of it by I, I, others. I'm with you. These, well, look, these are the I sorts define of things. My I'm sort of thinking of warfare. We had Steph Halfer on the show talking mm -hmm. about China. He talks about the three warfares, mm -hmm. how the economic and the military and the cultural mm -hmm. all interrelate, I guess, right. when I'm, I'm using in that broader sense of the word. Yeah. So well, In the sense of unrestricted warfare, I un guess you restricted. could say. It's yeah, that's, well, the people's that's, war. That's, that's, the word they're, that's the word they're using now. Well, well they're this. using the people's war. Which you know, is the People's Liberation Army, it's the it's People's Republic of China, and now they're calling is, it the People's War. I mean, we are at war based on their rhetoric. We're mm -hmm. at war right now. And space is a big part of that because it controls energy. I mean, Frank is the ideal person to talk to about this because if it weren't for Frank Gaffney, you know, this modern GPS system that, that we use all the time that may, makes it possible for me to look on my iPhone and see where I'm going and, and does so much of our economy is driven off that. Mm -hmm. That is a space warfare instrument. And if it weren't for Frank, it might not exist today. You did that with a defense with Reagan? No, actually, uh, when I was a young staffer on the Senate Armed Services Committee, we were hearing testimony from the then chief of staff of the Air Force, right. by the name of General Lou Allen, that they didn't need this newfangled navigation system, which the they Air Force was GPS. being told to build. They said they've been navigating perfectly well without it for years. They basically didn't want to have the Air Force budget having to carry this national program that was going to involve a considerable expense. Yeah. And it came down, Bill, to the last item to be decided between the House and the Senate Armed Services Committees in a conference committee in 1981. And honestly, you could have flipped a coin. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you any better which way it would come out. Fortunately, the Senate position prevailed. And this GPS system went into production, and uh, it's become what it's become. But And, and you worked for is, a senator that pushed it over the I, I worked uh, at the line. time for John Tower, who That's was chairman of the yeah. Senate Armed Services Committee. Yeah. But the reason I say this is we're in a very similar moment right now because the Air Force has taken, I believe, a very similarly parochial position Myopic. with respect to space warfare. It is being subordinated to, you know, the white scarf, you know, <coughs> fighter pilot kind of priorities of the past. Mm -hmm. An exception to this 
is an extraordinary man by the name of Lieutenant General Stephen Quast, mm -hmm. who until very recently was the commander of all of the Air Force's Air, Air Education, Education and, and Training Command. Command. And he has been a visionary on space, and he has perceived and taught, frankly, me and probably Kevin and many others about what China's prospective control of space mm -hmm. for power, for military activities, for you know, domination of the moon, for exploitation of resources, for projection of power terrestrially would mean for this country, both economically and in terms of national security and for his troubles, the Air Force has forced him into retirement. So we're trying to help President Trump recognize that mm -hmm. I believe this is the general officer he's been looking for now for two and a half years as president of the United States. He's a visionary leader who understands the threat we're facing and has the kind of practical approaches to what we can do to protect ourselves in the face of it that is desperately needed to command the new space force that the president has called for. Where, where so. does that stand? He, he gave the speech, what, six months ago, eight months About ago, rolled it out. And what I'm hearing is he's getting nothing but pushback from the Pentagon. From the Air Force particularly. And this is a case in point. Uh, this and particular so the way, general and the officer way, And the way to kill him in the cradle him. is to take the most, most effective advocate and get, right. get rid of him. Right. And, and then put somebody else, an Air Force guy, in there who's going to... Who won't do anything. ...go along with the plan of doing nothing. Yeah, now this is, this is the same mentality. And you've used the comparison of General Billy Mitchell. Mm -hmm. It's the same Cutter. mentality that happened where the Navy said these airplane things aren't really... The instruments of war, they're not really a big deal, and you could never, you know, and... and now, he invented the aircraft carrier uh, concept? Well, General Mitchell pushed. actually was was an advocate. He was an Army Air Corps advocate that uh, ships could be sunk by airplanes, number one. And number two, he traveled into Japan, and he came back and said the Japanese will attack Pearl Harbor probably on a Sunday morning. And he was court-martialed and, and demoted and treated really poorly. He is the <coughs> father of the modern Air Force, if, if anything. And, you know, every president since has come back and said, well, General Mitchell was right. General Quast is right. right. Th this is absolutely... So, so, so what are the Chinese doing on this front? What, I mean, specifically, are they, are they launching? Let me give you a couple are of they, examples. What technologies? What the Chinese what, what's the, are doing uh, is focusing on space control. And okay. they have a whole host of technologies, some of which are ground-based, yeah. some of which are space-based, that involve everything from direct physical attack capabilities mm -hmm. to lasers to robotic systems in space that can reach out and break a satellite that it happens to sidle up to. I mean, in other words, techniques that would enable them, perhaps without being visibly identified as Notice. having done it to neutralize assets that, as Kevin was saying, we have to have, not just for our national security, but just for commerce. I mean, you take out our GPS system, yeah. and as I'm sure you know, Bill, sure. banking, among other things, yeah. comes to a grinding halt. Well, if Kevin, there's even Kevin a delay of a couple well of as... seconds in the yeah. timing, it's a chaotic situation. But they're also building solar uh, capabilities to capture solar rays and then beam them back to the earth and they they could That's potentially power. dominate the uh, the so, energy so so race. how much of that technology is our technology and how much of it's their proprietary technology or how much is it a 
Well, it's a mix. It's global technology, but a lot of it is our technology. We're the innovators in so many of these areas. But increasingly, they're getting good at it, too. And more to the point, which goes back to something you talked about earlier, they have policies to actually translate these things into deployed capabilities. Mm -hmm. A lot of our stuff might be conceived of and even perhaps developed to a level and then usually it gets killed because there isn't the money for it or there isn't the priority ascribed to it. In other words, they're eating our lunch by oftentimes taking it from us. In other cases, though, thanks to the millions of Chinese students that yeah. we've trained in our universities, not in English literature, by the way, but in the hard sciences. Yeah, it's STEM. Hard, hard yeah they, they're right. writing more papers. Yeah. Uh, they have more STEM graduates. They're really genuinely advancing scientifically. Uh, they have some problems because they're not, uh, they're very creative people, but their system's not very creative. And so they have to steal and beg and borrow at, at times. But they're gaining a dominant position and they have the capability to do this because this is a nation that can impose a one child policy. Mm-hmm. If they can tell a family how many babies they can have, they can mandate whatever they need to to accomplish the objective. So who in town in D.C. is pushing Space Force besides President Trump? Because it just occurs to me as we talk here that he he has so many never-Trumpers in town that it seems like almost axiomatic that if he pushes it, there are going to be people saying, we don't want it. Mm -hmm. That's true. And that's been particularly evident in the House under Democratic control, yeah. the House Armed Services Committee has taken a very dim view of this idea. I think the Senate Armed Services Committee has been more supportive. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of confusion about it, frankly, because some people think, well, we'll just let the Air Force do it and it'll be sufficient under the day. I don't agree with that. I think you do need a separate military service. And I think General Quast is exactly the right guy to to uh, to implement this, especially because it's so important it's a new that you get this right at the beginning. So you don't want to waste like we time have and a money. Cyber domain, we need a space domain. Absolutely. So so what line of action should we use for Stephen Quast to help him? This is a critical period. Yeah. Because the president has the next month to okay. extend his service to our country in uniform. Mm-hmm. Otherwise at the beginning of September he's retired. Okay, then we're talking in August two thousand nineteen. This is August two thousand nineteen. Yeah. I think the American people their elected representatives. He's got a lot of support on Capitol Hill. Um, getting in touch with the White House, your representatives, the yeah. Defense Department. This is a this is an all hands on deck kind of problem at the moment because if we don't get this right, chances are we're going to lose this space race, and we can't afford to do that. That's why the Pearl Harbor analogy is so good because you would talk to Americans in the. Uh, late 1930s, early 1940s, and they'd say, Pearl Harbor, that's just Hawaii. It doesn't impact me. Uh, And General Mitchell understood how important Pearl Harbor was. Space, well, of course, nobody's going to mess with my satellite or GPS. Nobody nobody thinks in those terms. The average American doesn't realize how important this domain actually is. But if Pearl Harbor was compromised and overrun, the West Coast was subject to Japanese invasion, and few people recognize that. Right now, if if the Chinese dominate space, our economy's gone. Mm. It's that existential. We cannot operate our modern economy without our space assets. Ex- explain the risk to our financial assets that you're talking about. It's not just the 
the weapons, but describe how our money is dependent on space. Hey, everything's transmitted through space. It all goes through satellites. Yeah. The GPS is an example, but everything is transmitted at one level or another. Our whole telecommunications infrastructure is dependent on satellites. Right. And by the way, if you own the domain of space, you can also set off a small nuclear explosion and wipe out the entire electric grid. So the domain of space is absolutely existential to the United States of America. So time frame for all this, I mean, we A, we're going to put Stephen Quast on our to-do list, but not for the show right now, but we'll, we've got things to do afterwards. Uh, the, the other side of this, you, you take somebody like Gordon Chang, who's been on your show, and he talks about China. He doesn't see them as inevitable. I mean, he looks at their weaknesses and he looks at their incredible abusive uh, persecution culture, persecuting Christians, destroying churches, things like that, repressing people. Uh, he didn't think the economy is growing at 8%. He, th no, he it's thinks not. it's growing at 1% or 2%. That's probably And true. their debt is growing, I think, as you pointed out, five and a half times faster than their nominal GDP. So if we think we've got a debt problem, they really have a debt problem, and they're losing uh, American uh, reserves, uh, currency reserves. I mean, how much pressure is China feeling right now? And I guess the other question is, it, my sense is in the trade negotiations they were having, they're not exactly insouciant. They really care about this outcome. Not a benign implosion expected. You beware the wounded dragon. They're clearly a wounded dragon, and they will lash out, and that's my concern. That's where you've got these, uh, these uh, <coughs> senior officers in the People's Liberation Army talking about getting America's attention by sinking aircraft carriers. We're talking about killing tens of thousands of American military personnel in order for China to this make their point. This is discussion among the, the Chinese military. They've yes, actually made publicly. public statements to that effect. And, and interestingly enough, our friend Gordon Chang points out that that's not official Chinese policy. But on the other hand, they've not been reprimanded for making well, those statements. Yeah, they, they, mean, they've that, not been broken in rank or anything. Right. But here, here's the key point as far as I'm concerned as, uh, as we're talking about you know, what do we do about all this? Gordon is certainly right, and, and Kevin too, that there are vulnerabilities to be exploited with the Chinese. And I think we should be doing a lot more of that. We should be going very, very frontally at the Chinese Communist Party, which is at the heart of the threat that we're facing now. But here's another piece of it that I think we have to factor into these considerations of, do we have a choice? Kevin has said, we're at war with China. And I believe that's the case. Not because we want to be, or we even think of ourselves We haven't as being, declared it. They, they have, have. But here's the kicker. You mentioned the one-child policy. As a result of that policy being in place now for decades, they've modified it somewhat lately, but for decades, there are by some estimates 40 million men in China, military-age men, for whom there are no women. Now that is a formula for a problem domestically, obviously. It's also something that lends itself to turning those people into cannon fodder to go find women or resources or whatever else the Chinese want elsewhere. So this thing has the potential, Bill, to move from an unrestricted warfare arena predominantly in the economic space into one that is highly kinetic, possibly in the heavens, possibly here on earth. 
we have to be bending every effort, it seems to me, and I give Donald Trump great credit mm-hmm. for doing a lot of this, to understand the full complexion of this threat and to be developing the capabilities that we need, economic, military, strategic, intelligence, political information that will enable us to compete at a minimum and ideally well, certainly deter. And, and you don't, and neither one threat. of you believe we have any choice but to engage. This is, and there's some people in town that say, well, you know, we're being too tough on them. We just let up, you know, we'll, we'll coexist peacefully and they'll be part of our economic arrangements and we're going to be fine. Engage is, engage is the wrong word. I, yeah. This is existential what we're talking about. China. Keep in mind, all right, President Xi is looking at a uh, country that he thinks should be dominant in charge of the world. But he is also looking at a population problem. Demographically, they're losing population. How do you grow your economy? The only way you keep your head in China is you grow your economy fairly rapidly. Yeah. So they've been throwing debt at the problem. <coughs> How do you grow your economy if you take the demographic? Because GDP growth is innovation, productivity, and population. If you don't have innovation, productivity, and population, and they're not, you know, if we restrict on on their access to our intellectual property, that's going to hurt their innovation and capabilities, and their productivity is having problems because it's a bad system. I mean, I think we agree that the communist system is a bad system, a statist controlling system doesn't work as well as a free system, and their population is dwindling. This is their time. They're going to have to lash out, and we have to be prepared for it. Amen. One of the things I looked at preparation for our show is this book, Interviews with Lee Kuan Yew, mm-hmm. who was uh, premier president of Singapore for, what, five decades and turned them from mm-hmm. like $500 per capita GDP to something like 50000 yeah, Phenomenal. It, it, one of the extraordinary miracle. things he did when he got into the job was he made English Singapore's first language mm-hmm. because he felt that English was open architecture, diplomacy, science, business, and by doing that, he turned Singapore into this incredible commercial uh, economy. Yeah. And But then he goes, he's, he's asked here what he thinks about China. He thinks China is a tremendous problem because of the Chinese language, and they've got 4,000 characters that mm. forces them to think in a certain way. And in terms of the demographic problem, you really don't immigrate into China. Mm. I mean, it's it's not an open yeah, society in any sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so they've got another pressure here, which is he doesn't have a, even the ability to bring people in to to to, to help make things happen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Look, I think that it's important for any conversation like this to be balanced by. The vulnerabilities of China, as well, well as that's, that's its strengths, what I'm, that's what I'm I probing. Think, I think some of these may well be significant. The trouble is, enough momentum has been imparted to the kind of agenda that we've been warning about here, that even with those problems, even with us perhaps exploiting them modestly a bit Didn't ourselves, the, uh... the trajectory is is likely to be in the wrong direction for quite some time to come. And in that space of time, Bill, and again, I bring you back to where we started. If the Chinese are able to export this social credit score scheme around the world and enable thereby a degree of forced submission of populations worldwide, company store perhaps being a good analogy, perhaps just you know, Debt colonial, colonial 
imperialism, whatever you want to call it, you could have, well, we talked about it earlier, a bad patch for the world, for the human race. How would they export well social credit? How would they export facial recognition? How would they They're manifest? offering it right now. Right now. Okay. Right now to Venezuela. They're offering it right now involved with the Belt and Road, wherever they install things in the Belt and Road. And they're going to be offering it in 5G. That's right. With Huawei. It will be putting in the development capabilities for them to monitor the entire world. If Huawei's 5G is adopted, and we've been fighting against that, but if it's adopted, they'll have access to all of the communications of the <clears throat> entire world. Yeah. A friend of mine calls it 5G <laughs> after the president. After 5G. XI. <laughs> right. Um, but here, just to give you an example, Bill, how does this work? The Chinese gave yeah. the African Union a headquarters, gave it to them, built it for them for free. Turns out, of course, the thing was completely wired for sound. And every night there would be a download to China mm -hmm. of everything that was said in that building, enabling them to exercise a degree of control Qu and influence. I'm, I'm going to ask a question power. I know the answer to, but I want you two to answer it. Quickly describe how pervasive the Belt and Road Initiative is and what they're doing with their debt trap business and how they're spreading out throughout the world to these, these countries making deals with uh, a lot of dictators who want a new palace. I think you're right when you say it throughout the world. Initially, you think of the Belt and Road as just around China and just yeah. connecting their neighbors. But the it is Silk now Road. Belt and Road in Latin America. There's the Arctic version of the Belt and Road. Uh, it's throughout Asia, Africa, Latin America. And, Europe. And Europe, yes. And so they've been offering money. that They've been able to create uh, uh, offerings, financial offerings, debt offerings, uh, mostly because of their large intellectual property theft that might be 200 to 600 billion dollars a year is what they've been stealing just from us from us mm -hmm. yes and they've been able to turn around and offer new and greatest technology and in exchange for you all have access to our markets which of course was false they've never really given american uh, companies true access to the chinese market i was in the movie business briefly try to get a u.s movie released in mm -hmm. china it's not happening well, well you know what they unless you, unless, hollywood yeah well, Unless you make it a Chinese so, movie. In fact, there's, a, there's an interesting little story going around at the moment, as you may know. Uh, Tom Cruise, I guess, has done a remake of um, Top, Top Gun. Gun. Mm -hmm. And the flight jacket that he wears previously in the first movie had prominently featured the flag of Taiwan. And Japan. Oh. And Japan. Yeah. Both are gone Yeah, in the make for China. And, and, and Richard Gere, you know, phenomenal actor. Reverse well product placement. There you yeah, go. Richard Gere, phenomenal actor, friend of the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Richard Gere doesn't get any parts anymore because the Dalai Lama is not acceptable. Yeah. yeah. So they, they have a massive influence in our universities through the uh, Confucius Institutes, a massive influence in Hollywood. You can't make a movie now unless you have Chinese approval. But this I goes to the point about culture as one of the realms of warfare. It's not just the economic, it's not well, just and, the national and security. It brings me to something. I was involved in the Trump transition helping figure out what we want to do with Treasury. And CFIUS, which is part of, I mm -hmm. guess, it's the, it's the Committee, Committee on Foreign, Foreign Investment, Investment in the United States. States. And that had been exclusively focused on economic impact on investments. And now, as I understand it, that's turning more to cultural uh, impact? Or, or am I just being I doubt hopeful? It. I, I think it's mostly uh, now the case. <clears throat> because that, you're talking about, they, they, the, are, they are pervasively buying 
properties in Hollywood. But the yeah. challenge has been, yeah. going back to something we talked about earlier, Bill, the challenge has been that committee whose ostensible purpose is to make sure that there are no national security downsides to foreign investment inside the United States is chaired by the Treasury Department. And the Treasury Department never saw a foreign investment that it didn't like. Yeah. So while there are other agencies that are involved in it, notably the Defense Department, the Intelligence it by and large is the case. The and chairman Steve, and Steve Mnuchin is terrible the on these issues. Terrible. It's like having investment banking and research housed in the same location. It's bad for investors, right? If you have investment banking and research because you want to get the deal from you want to get the deal flow from from the company, and your research department ends up writing, oh yeah, it's a tremendous investment. You ought to invest there. So it's housed in one treasury department. Uh, but wouldn't the dot-com bubble great, though? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, That's what it gave us. Exactly. <laughs> Pets.com, right there. <laughs> it was that research that, research that China.com is the way you might think about it. Yeah. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. We are in overtime with Frank Gaffney and Kevin Freeman. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to go into double overtime, but uh, I, will, I, don't, I think I'd, I'd probably exhaust us. So I'd like to get to your last thoughts, Frank and Kevin, about... Uh, what our viewers ought to be thinking about how to deal with China. Well, I think, first off, viewers need to weaponize their money. They need to realize that whatever their investments are, whether it's in a pension plan or whether it is an individual investment, that they, those investments should not be uh, funding the demise of their culture and their country. And so they need to get ed educated. That's why I started my show, Economic War Room, mm -hmm. uh, was to train Which is people. a terrific show. It's on Blaze TV. Yeah. And you can see economicwarroom.com. Yeah. We train people about uh, the risks of having their money uh, invested against their interests. And so I think that's the first and, and really most important thing that I can bring as a contribution is to help people weaponize their money. Mm -hmm. Great. Frank? I have a little show myself. We have a syndicated radio program called Secure Freedom Radio. Kevin is one of our featured uh, regulars, as a matter of fact. Where do we find Secure Freedom? Secure Freedom Radio is a podcast, of course, but it's also terrestrially broadcast on the American Family Network. Okay. Uh, but I guess what I would suggest is that um, learn about these sorts of things uh, through the kinds of resources that we're all providing, of course. Right. But also recognize that this may be our last chance, honestly, to get this right. Mm. And I give Donald Trump great credit for having the vision and the courage to say, we're not just going to continue doing business as usual on terms that are clearly unacceptable and unsatisfactory. And he's done that not just in the context of trade. He's developed a national security strategy that very explicitly identifies China as a foreign adversary mm -hmm. of the United States. He has taken on Huawei as an example, though there's some backing and forthing on, on what exactly that's going to entail at the moment. But I think by and large, his attitude has been, call it America first, call it national security mindedness, call it whatever you wish. But we as a people, We'll have a choice in this election cycle. None of us is into the politics of this, I suppose, but I just want to say... But elections matter. Elections are going to matter, and perhaps never more so than will we continue mm -hmm. a robust policy of defending America's vital interests against China, which I don't 
expect we're going to see from the opposition to Donald Trump, whoever that may be. Well, I Biden mean, has told us China's not a problem. He, well, he told us that, and then he told us it might be. But the point is, <laughs> he, he, his, that would son, be, his oh. son took an, an immense amount of money from the Chinese, and yeah. that compromises him, I think, beyond repair. But the point is, when you ask what can we do, one of the things we can do is to make sure that our elected representatives understand the gravity of this problem mm -hmm. based on the fact that we've gone to school on it ourselves and that there are practical, necessary things that we can do in the economic space, in space itself, and in other national security arenas and in the culture to ensure that it comes out right. Kevin Freeman, Frank Gaffney, thank you. Tremendously interesting and, and I must say alarming show, but I think we've got some lines of action that you all provided and let's come back in a few months and figure out where we take it from there. All right. So thanks for joining me on the Bill Walton Show over time and uh, uh, glad you joined us. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.